This is your coffee break. Hi friends, I am back again this week and I have a really cool treat for you. I have on the line right now, Pacific Northwest writer Kate Dyer Seeley. Kate is a writer of, I believe, Cozy Mysteries, which I'm a huge fan of myself. And Kate, can you just start us off with a little bit about yourself and what you've written? Sure. So I write an outdoor Pacific Northwest mystery series. The first book in that is called Scene of the Climb. My agent always says the punnier the better for these. So the titles, are, um, I have as much fun writing as the books in some ways. That series featured a very young journalist, May Reed. She's fresh out of college and thinks that she's going to become this journalist. She's very indie and a bit naive. And sadly, she can't get a job because newspapers are closing. True to life, right? And so she has a chance encounter with this very dreamy editor of Northwest Extreme and claims that she is athletic and outdoorsy when in reality, she has not an athletic bone in her body. She loves pink. She's terrified of heights. So she gets sent out on assignment to all of these places here in the wild and ends up over her head. Now, is is she in any way based on you or anyone you know? I'm just curious. <laughs> Definitely not me. No, not me at all. Uh, yeah, she. there are little bits and pieces of her. A reader about a year ago, right after the book came out, said that she reminded her of Bridget Jones in the wild. She is a bit like me in my 20s. Because she's so young, I am not in my 20s, obviously, anymore. So it's nice to be able to write about that time period with a little distance. She makes a lot of mistakes, but that's part of that age, I I think. And when I was first working on the series, we were out in the Columbia River Gorge, which is just gorgeous, all these beautiful vistas. And we were hiking Angel's Rest, where the first book takes place. And this car pulled into the trailhead next to us, and it had just all these rugged, burly Oregon mountain men with their beards and their Columbia sportswear jackets and black boots. And out of the back of the car came this very young, short, petite woman wearing bright pink hiking boots. And I thought, like, who is she? And how is she with this group of burly guys? And and it just kind of came from there. (laughs) That's awesome. It's always interesting to see. I know that um, a lot of times writers are asked, where do you get your ideas from? And obviously the answer is your own brain. But it's it's always interesting to see um, if there's little sparks of information that kind of got you going in a particular direction. Yeah. And um, she uh, she is part of this adventure race. We're huge fans of that show. And they were here in Oregon filming when the idea for the book was starting to ruminate. I had spent time in college backpacking through New Zealand and Australia. And one of the things that I remember doing was you could zip line from the top of this cliff, which now in hindsight, I'm sure it was a cliff. It was probably like 20 feet tall. I'm sure it was nothing. But in my head, it was a cliff. It was massive. You could zip line from the top of that down into a pub and get a free pint of beer. So of course, in my 20s, I was like, yeah, okay, free beer. So all of it was just it was a lot of things coming together at the same time that really helped form her as a character. 
That is really awesome. I And thank you for sharing that. I know that sometimes that gets locked into the author's trove of secrets, but thank you for being like open about where your characters come from. So I have to ask, what made you combine sort of this outdoorsy, spunky Bridget Jones type character with the genre of more of a cozy mystery? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Well, I grew up reading the genre. I love mysteries because I think they're escapism. They are obviously sort of light and fun reads with a little dose of murder thrown in. But they're cerebral, too, in that you have to puzzle through the clues and you, the reader, me as the reader, have the same opportunity as the sleuth to figure it out. So I like that part of them. And then when I read them, I always read them sort of as travelogues. So I like anything that is set in the British countryside. Like I'm a sucker (laughs) for that style. But I also knew that I had to write what I know. And I'm a native to the Pacific Northwest. I know this space. And I wanted people to really experience the Pacific Northwest as a character in the series a little bit too. So all of the books have a travelogue that you can follow along. You can go to all of the places that Meg is going. And um, it's so it, it's definitely cozy in that it's there's not a lot of gratuitous violence and it's light and it's fun. But it's a little bit different. It's a little edgier. She goes to meet her friends for a pint of beer or like a beautiful artisan coffee instead of maybe, you know, a little cozy tea and knitting with a grandma or something. I don't know. Yeah. I love that. The idea of like a more modern cozy for maybe a more millennial reader. I kind of love that. Exactly. I also grew up reading cozy mysteries and just um, I like what you said about intellectualism meets, you know, sort of the distanced comfort. I, I really like that. I'd never thought about why I enjoy that genre so much. What do you love most about the Pacific Northwest that made you kind of want to create it as a character? Oh, yeah. I love so many things about it. So I live just outside of Portland, Oregon in Vancouver, Washington. So I'm literally in my office right now looking at the Portland Hills. And Portland has really become this mecca for young adventure lovers. They've kind of flocked to the Northwest. And instead of necessarily following like a specific career track, you know, I graduate from college and I buy a house and sort of that plan they are content to work as baristas or bartenders at night and then have their lifestyle really be outdoors. So I think that is perhaps different than other places in the United States. And I kind of wanted to capture that vibe because it's real. As is the fact that literally on every corner in Portland, you can find um, an artisan coffee shop with a snarky barista and or a pub of some kind. So I try to weave that into the series as well, which is really fun. It means I have to go spend a lot of time in pubs and coffee shops and have that authentic experience for readers. Darn, that sounds like, you know, terrible hard work. <laughs> oh, I love that. Horrid. <laughs> so then is your is your reader that you're kind of looking at that sort of younger hipster millennial that you see walking around or is it to kind of open up that world to audiences who are living in different places at different ages? You know, I don't think I had specifically a reader in mind when I started. I just knew that this was the story that I wanted to write and that I would want to read too. I definitely think it appeals to kind of that new adult readership because it is a little fresher and a bit more modern. But I've been really surprised and humbled by the kind of feedback that I get from readers of all ages and in all locations. I received email from a woman in North Carolina who said that she had never been hiking before 
and she read the book and was inspired to go for her first hike, which is such an unexpected gift that just touched me so much. I also received feedback from a reader who's in a wheelchair and thanked me for describing the trails and the mountains and the places that I'm sending Meg. I have this opportunity to share our gorgeous landscapes with people who might not be able to do that. When you set out to write this, did you think, oh, hey, I might be opening up new worlds and possibilities for people? I mean, is that something that even crossed your mind? Not even in the slightest. More just, uh, this is what I know. I love this land, and I'd love to share it with people. But yeah, this it's beyond my expectations. Oh, that's incredible. That's one of those gifts that's kind of unexpected and, and probably one of the most worthwhile things that you can get out of writing. Yeah, Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, the phrase new adult. I know that that's a relatively new, I don't know if we call it a genre or what have you. Did you intend this to be a young adult, or excuse me, a new adult novel? Or did that just kind of happen because of the the age of your characters or? Yeah, so I do think you're right. It's kind of, it's hard to box it in, but it is, it is a new genre. So the way I understand it from publishing terms is it's sort of that as young adult readers, have aged and matured they're looking for books to mature with them it was not a conscious choice that i made when i set out to write my husband likes to say that i stalked her up the trail i think i followed her at a safe distance but you know all those things sort of came together in portland being this mashup of young people it kind of it was all like the perfect storm of ideas with new adults i think what I find so interesting as a writer and so rich is it's a time of so many firsts in your life. So for Meg, it's it's her first job. It's her first place on her own. I really think it's that time where you define yourself in the world for the first time. And that's just a great amount of a material, I guess, to write about. So I enjoy that piece. And then I think from the technical standpoint of the genre – can swear a little bit or she drinks a beer you probably wouldn't have a YA character going to the pub to meet her friends that kind of thing very cool thank you that distinction is really is really good to know and I love that that has I love that that's opened up because there's a there's such a big span between when you're done with a lot of YA novels and then jumping into adult fiction there there is a really big ledge there so I'm glad that that's being bridged I don't know if I necessarily want to ask like oh how did you get into writing because well Maybe I'll just ask you anyway. How did you get into writing? Yeah, uh, well, I think, you know, always readers first. So I started reading at an early age. My dad was an honors English teacher and taught Shakespeare. So he was quoting sonnets and soliloquies around our house all the time. And my mom was a prolific mystery reader. So she would trek me down to the library and we would come home with just stacks and stacks. I remember one summer I read all of Agatha Christie's works um, when I was, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14. So I think all those stories obviously stuck in my head. But I was giving a talk here in Portland a few weeks ago and found the first mystery that I ever wrote, which was in second grade. It was called The House on the Haunted Hill. And uh, I just wrote a ton all through my high school years, my college years, terrible first drafts that would never see the light of day. I did a lot of freelance work. So I wrote nonfiction. I wrote a memoir. I did a lot of things first before I bridged into fiction, which I'm really glad because I needed that time and experience to really hone my craft before I dove into writing mysteries. 
Because there is something really strategic and I kind of have a formula that I create before I actually start writing. I do really intensive outlining and sketching so I have a clear path of where the story is going. I also create suspect sheets so I know that every character is lying about something or hiding something because that way as I'm actually drafting the manuscript, I'm constantly, hopefully at least, casting suspicion on multiple characters so that the reader is confused. I love that. I, one of my next questions was going to be like, oh, how do you structure a mystery? Do you know who did it like when you go out and start or do sometimes your characters surprise you? Yeah. I, you know, for me, the gift of reading a mystery is getting to solve the clue. So I am always disappointed if I read something and I know right away who did it. So that is my number one priority to my readership is that I want you guessing So yeah, when I start out, I sketch everything out by hand. I always start with the murder. So for Scene of the Climb, I thought we got to the summit of Angel's Rest. What if someone fell, but they had some help? So I always start, I have a whiteboard here in my office. So that's kind of my circle point that I start with. Then I backtrack and create a list of suspects. Then I write probably a 30 to 40 page outline. And at the In each act, I want you focused on one suspect. At the end of that act, I want some sort of reveal that is going to shift suspicion to a new suspect. So I write the whole thing like that. And then I actually start the process of drafting. And as I'm writing a manuscript, you know, we're in nano month right now. I have a lot of friends who are participating and I, I almost am always nanoing my work. So I write a first draft usually in just a little over a month because I find that I'm in the story. I just want it to flow do any edits or revisions as I'm working. I might just have a couple um, lines to center myself back in the story, but otherwise I'm just taking notes and changes as I go. And then once I'm done, I can come back and see where the holes and flaws are. I'm always so interested in learning about other people's writing processes. And I'm curious, um, you have such a wonderfully structured mystery writing formula going. Is that something that you came up with yourself or did you take a class or did you kind of build off of something you'd learned or? When I decided that I wanted to try to write mysteries myself, I took every class I could. So I went to workshops and, um, you know, every writer's conference I could. And so it's sort of an amalgam of lots of things that I learned and pulled together from listening to other writers talk about what they did. And now I've kind of come up with a process that works for me. I usually know who did it. So times when I get to the end of the story, I always let it sit for a while. But I give myself freedom within the story to change it because some of it is organic, you know, as you're writing those interesting things pop up. And that's wonderful that you brought that up. I was going to ask, how do you know how to leave enough room for that organic stuff to kind of worm its way in? Because I think that's part of the magic of, of writing is when the story kind of gets away from you a little bit. How do you balance the organic, spontaneous stuff with what you have planned? Yeah, I think because I'm so structured, it it's the structure that allows everything else to come up spontaneously. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. I keep going about this. I like this. Once I'm in the story, I'm so in it. I write usually on average about 2,000 words a day. And so I have an idea 
of where I'm going and I kind of know the next plot point or reveal that I'm headed towards. And so I think because I know that in the back of my head, it frees me up creatively to then just let characters take over. And it's hard to describe how it happens, but it, it just works for me every time. And I do think there's something to be said that the farther you get outside of the story, then you're able to see like the big picture changes. But because mysteries are so plot driven that for me, writing that first draft while I'm really in the middle of the story lends well to getting that pacing right. And then, you know, once I let it sit for a while, usually I don't touch it for, I don't know, somewhere between two to three months. I, I go away from it. I'm walking. I'm out researching all of the gorgeous locations here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm drinking a pint. I'm having coffee. And then I come back to it and I go, oh, okay, well, we this part needs to be fixed or I'm going to chunk this out or whatever. What is the most useful thing for you to do to kind of re-inspire yourself if you hit sort of a, a brick wall? Well, getting outside, I find that my best ideas, I go, I have a certain loop that I do in uh, my neighborhood here. So as soon as I hit my word count for the day, I get outside. I have a Meg playlist that I walk to. <laughs> she's 23, so but she's kind of vintage, so she loves big band. So there's some Ella Fitzgerald and some Frank Sinatra, but then some Taylor Swift because she's 23. So I'll listen to that. And I'll walk and I find that when I'm outside, things just pop into my head in very unexpected ways where I'm, oh, yes, why didn't I think of that when I was in front of my computer? So I'll go home and take a frantic note. Literally putting yourself in your character's shoes can do that for you. And especially when you weave music into there, how that kind of lets out the creativity and, and furthers you into your character's mind. So I'm kind of curious what is your favorite part of the writing process? What for you is the most fun? Is it is it that original outlining? Is it the initial outpouring of that first draft? Is it the edits? What do you like most about the writing process? Oh, I love it all. <laughs> I kind of do love it all because each part is so different and unique and it's using a different part of my brain. You know, when I'm editing something, I'm in a very different mode than when I'm drafting or thinking about what's next. I do feel that initial sketch and outline is probably the most exciting time in the writing process. I'm just finishing edits book four for her. And so already in my head, I'm thinking, okay, book five, where am I sending her? So that's kind of all going in the background as I'm doing more like serious line editing kind of stuff. That's a, that's a good answer. <laughs> and I like that. They, I like your point about each part of writing kind of bringing out something different in your brain and using different parts of your brain um, that makes it sound like a really wholesome and healthy craft to do um, <laughs> we'll see <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have three books out right now and you have book four coming out do you know and and you're thinking about book five how do you have sort of in your mind how long you intend to go with this or is it just kind of till it stops being fun and exciting or yeah, I definitely know where I'm going with her in book five. So each book is a standalone. You can read it. The murder wraps up in every book. But there is a bigger story arc and subplot of Meg's backstory. Her father, Pops, as she calls him, has died in book one. And so part of her story arc is solving what happened to him. And I feel like that's starting to come to a close for book five. So I'm not really sure after that if that launches her to something else or if it's just a clean breaking point. I'm just staying open to what happens. 
I love long running series and I can see her evolving, but she can't evolve too fast because part of the pull of the mystery is that she is a fish out of water. She's out doing all of these adventures that she's not highly skilled at. And so it's that struggle of her figuring out who she is and trying to be someone she's not. Um, so I can't have her mature too much, but she, but I also want to show her maturing too. So it's kind of an interesting balance to strike. And I like that you're kind of doing that sort of organically, it sounds like. You're kind of feeling that out a little bit more than plotting that out. Has that been a pretty natural progression for Mag as she grows? Yeah, it has. It really has. And I, I do, I, I try to stay much more hands off with that versus, you know, the plot with a mystery like, okay, now I have to shift suspects or something like that. It has been natural and I want that to just stay natural because I think it maps to that age group of the millennials too. I mean, they're in flux. And um, so it feels authentic to me. Good. And I love that you use the word authenticity. I love so much about this conversation <laughs> today. <laughs> um, tell me your thoughts about creating authentic characters. Why is it important to you that your stories um, have that authenticity? I just think it comes through in the writing if you're trying to force something or fake something. And, you know, because with the mystery genre, you have to have a certain amount of suspects. So some of those characters, well, all of those characters for the most part are not going to continue through the series. I can't spend as much time on them because they're kind of peripheral. They're there to drive the plot forward. But for Meg and Matt, her friend, and Jill and Pops, she has a very wise, eclectic grandmother, Gam, who she goes to for um, spiritual advice and guidance. And then she has a really contentious relationship with her mother. Um, All of those characters... I spend a lot of time developing and they're based on people I know or parts of me or history, that sort of thing. And I think that is what lends layers to the reading, even though it's light and fun and cozy. Meg is grieving. Like she's she's stepping out in the world for the first time, losing a parent and trying to define herself in the world. Like that just adds this whole richness. Um, And I lost my mom at a young age in my early 30s. So I definitely pull some of those layers in for myself. And I, I, that's what I want to read. So I hope that's what resonates with readers too. And you can tell as a reader, like you said, you can, you can tell if something phony is going on and it makes the book a lot less engaging. So when you're writing, what has been uh, your most difficult roadblock? Um, I think now that I'm, you know, four books in with this series, really, it's just my roadblock previously was trusting the process. The first book, you know, I would second guess myself and I hadn't really found my rhythm. Now that I'm about to start work on book five, I I trust the process. Now, that's not to say when I finish a first draft, it's not terrible. I mean, it's terrible. It's not great. I read them back and I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> But I know that then the magic is going to happen when I go back and edit and I layer in all those notes that I took about being outside in nature and drinking Northwest microbrews and all the things that make the series so kind of hearty. So for me, it's just 
do think the practice of writing every day is developing that muscle memory. It's like lifting weights. You know, you've, I, I want to tone my arms. I can't, it, it, I can think about it. I can imagine it. I can watch YouTube videos on it. But if I'm not lifting weights every day, my arms are not going to be toned. It's the same thing for my writing muscle. It's the process of writing those 2,000 words a day and drafting and taking notes and editing that just strengthens that muscle. And again, even with that muscle strengthening, it's still terrible for straps. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I like that you acknowledge that. I also love, yeah. so I've been sitting here while you've been talking, I've been taking notes as though for some reason I won't have access to this recording later. <laughs> but I think that's just a testament to, I don't know how, how articulate and, and wonderful some of these things that you've said are. I especially like, and I've never heard of this before, I especially like the notion of editing as putting the magic back into your writing. I love that notion. Oh my gosh, I love that. So thank you for sharing that. Yay. I always think of editing as something like tedious and technical, but when you think of it as like putting the excitement and the magic back in, boy, mm, I just want to go edit something right now. Yay, good, <laughs> edit, edit. <laughs> cool. I want to, um, you have just been wonderful to talk to. You are so insightful. And, and I love that, I love all the balances that you've struck here between spontaneity and the process and sort of working out magic on both sides of that. I kind of want to ask if you have a piece of advice that was shared with you, perhaps by a mentor or a teacher um, that has really kind of guided you in your work. Ooh, well, you know, my first mentor was my dad. He edited every single essay and paper that I turned in, and he bloodied my work with red pen. <laughs> I remember thinking, you know, I always wanted his approval if I had written something that I knew would please him, then I, then I felt like I had arrived. And I remember getting papers back and they were just covered in red and being so dejected. And then taking creative writing classes in college and writers, instructors commenting on my work and just how lovely it was. And I owe that all to him. Now, at some point in time, I banned him from using his red pen. I told him I had had enough, no more. Uh, we which was a mistake because now he's one of my early readers. He reads every manuscript after I've done a few rounds of edits. And to this day, he will not use his red pen. He edits everything in like a light pencil, which is so sweet. But I'm in my early 40s and I can't see pencil. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, no, it's okay. Bring back the red pen. I want to see the red. I don't know. I guess um, from an early age, maybe seeing my work taken apart and strengthened at that level made a lasting impression. And maybe that's part of the reason why I find magic in editing, because I do think it is at that level that it really all comes together and it firms up as a rich story. So thanks, Dad. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much for your time and your insights and your wisdom today. I have my giant page of notes here that I took while you were talking that I will be referencing as I go forward and write today. And I am 100% positive that my listeners will have that as well. So thank you again so much. Thanks for having me. Happy writing. Thank you. 